This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, this is a Future of What single. If you want to get the whole thing, visit our website at KillRockStars.com slash The Future of What. Support for The Future of What comes from Merch Table. Since 2002, Merch Table has operated and managed online stores for hundreds of successful musicians, record labels, comedians, artists, and small businesses. Big or small, set up shop today by visiting merchtable.com. I'm talking to Garrison Snell from Crosshair. Garrison, welcome to the future of what? Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So you have developed an online platform called Crosshair Music. And if you could just go ahead and tell us about Crosshair, that would be awesome. I'm happy to. Crosshair came out of an organization called Gyrosity Projects, which is the first business I started. It's still definitely the biggest. It's a outsourced marketing agency for brands, artists, major labels, some instances, management companies. And basically, they outsource their marketing needs to this agency. And we had a ton of independent artists that were working with us, wanting to get on Spotify playlists. And we started looking around at other marketing agencies to help us do that or other kind of outsourced means of doing that. And there wasn't anything in the market that was productized. What I mean is everything the independent artists were paying for was a person going out pitching this, banking on their relationships. And it was a it was a model that looked very similar to independent radio promotion. If you guys are familiar with how that's usually structured, it's some guy who had, you know, radio contacts back in the day and they charge a monthly retainer and independent artists pay them to pitch on the program directors that nine times out of ten don't care. I started looking at it and I'm realizing we're in the age of streaming, like we're in this era. This is all tech-based. Why is there not a productized solution for this? So we built a web app and started onboarding as many playlists as we could find, as many playlist brands, and honestly, a ton of social influencers. These are like Instagram accounts and YouTube accounts and Twitter accounts that we knew were going to, for lack of a better word, impact the way the streaming platforms looked at what was happening online and like what they prioritized for their editorial playlists. And so we ended up with this really kind of massive database of influencers and a web app on top of it to serve them. And we could price it because it's technology-based and there weren't people doing that pitching. We could price it in a way that was you know, 10% of what, what everybody else was pricing it at. So does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So basically what you do is artists come to you, independent artists, I assume. And I don't know what your ranges are. Are all the artists unsigned or some signed to indie labels or some signed to major labels? Or is it across the board? The, the vast majority are independents and it's priced that way on purpose and it's marketed that way on purpose. The goal is to take an independent artist from that notorious under a thousand streams marker to its first 100,000 to 500,000 streams, which is mostly done usually through breaking onto the Discover Weekly algorithm or the Fresh Finds or Release Radar algorithms. And you do that through a certain kind of certain ratios of number of playlist ads, skip rates, listen rate, saves, streams, all these different things inside a 28-day period. And so obviously getting added to independent playlists is a big deal. And the major labels and major artists who have used it they look at it and they go, oh, it didn't move the needle a lot for us. And I'm like, no, duh. It's, I mean, your, your results are going to be asymptotic when you're the you know, 50 most listened to profile on the planet. Like we did a campaign for a really popular EDM act last year, and their management came back and said, yeah, it didn't really move the needle a ton for us. I'm going, 
what recently has moved the needle a ton for you? You're the, literally the 37th most listened to profile on Spotify, and you think a $250 campaign to a bunch of independent playlists is going to put another million plays inside your 22 million monthly listeners, or whatever it is? Wow. Like, that's not, it just doesn't make any sense. Right. So, expectations are way off at that level because performance is asymptotic, right? But at the independent level, major gains can be made. And honestly, most of our clients on the crosshair side, it's their first track or it's their first release and they're a bartender or a barista who's trying to, who's honestly saved up some money and is trying to just find a way to spark this release. And so we priced it and positioned them in a way that said, this is the most organic and best bang for your buck out there as opposed to going and hiring an agency, which I'm very familiar with, or hiring a PR firm. And inversely, it'll save you a ton of time just because we've already gathered all the contacts, you know? Right. Now, the people who get some money from this are actually the playlist curators, right? The influencers. Yeah, it depends on how you look at it. But yes, directly, we pay the curators to listen to the song and review it. When you hit about 100,000 streams as an artist, you make about 400 bucks if you distribute through TuneCore or CD Baby or something like that. So you could say that, you know, a, a very successful campaign that reaches that pays for itself, you know, and, and more. So depending on how you want to look at it, both sides can make money off of it. But directly, we take a portion of what's paid to us and pay them, pay the curators. Right. However, I would, I mean, I'm going to guess, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you're not guaranteeing anyone playlisting. No. Right. You really can't. And it's not, we wish we could. And I'll tell you, like, I'm happy to break this down for, for listeners, but we've never bought a playlist in our life. And you know, there's plenty of our competitors who go out and buy playlists, and that's directly against Spotify's terms of service. You'll get shut down, and the artist profile will get shut down. I was literally talking to the North American head of playlisting last week here in Nashville about this, and he said, oh, yeah, we've shut plenty of people down, and they're very aware of us and you know knows that we don't do that and aren't putting any of our artists in danger. So the value proposition you can make to artists is, hey, we own the playlist, we bought them, we can put you on them and guarantee those placements. But it directly violates Spotify's terms of service and you'll, you'll get knocked around pretty good if you, if you go there. So we have to build a system in which our influencers are properly incentivized and use the platform so frequently that they're much more likely to add the stuff they like. You see what I'm saying? Gotcha. Yeah, so we reward those that add, and you know, we, we have incentive programs for those that do add more often or add, you know, or have to more constructive feedback more often or things like that. So, so your artists, I'm just trying to understand how it works. Your artist comes to you and pays the fee and then gives you a song. Yeah. And then the song is put out to your influencers and... What does the artist receive? So that's exactly what happens, and they do it through the online platform. And the artist receives usually inside six weeks. So what they get first, they hit create, and literally they're going to get a screen that pops up that's their campaign screen, and there's a little tab that says responses, and you click on it, and it's probably going to be blank at that moment. But what just happened was all the influencers got a notification. The ones that got matched to the campaign got a notification. They're logging in, listening to the song, and responding. And so within the first day or so, you're probably going to get 20 to 30 responses. And then over the next six to eight weeks, you're going to cap out at probably 75 to 100 responses. And those responses are going to be influencers saying, I love this or I don't. They're going to give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. A thumbs up means, yes, I'm interested in adding it. Thumbs down means I'm passing. They all leave feedback. And then the thumbs up gives you, gives you a way to message them in the platform. 
in coordinate any sort of placement or co-promotion opportunities depending on the platform that the influencers on, right? I mean, for YouTube, there may be some very specific things you need to work out with them, or in some cases, music supervisors who we have on the platform need to get a hold of management, whatever it is. And so the artist just gets all of these people who have said, I'm interested in adding it. Would you reach out to me? And a, and a secure way to reach out to them and coordinate getting placed on their channel. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's one of the things you were saying at the beginning of the interview, which is that you're actually creating direct relationships between people, which is, I think, a service that's very different from what other people are trying to do. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not super traditional music business, honestly. I, I don't think that... I have, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a reformed drummer, I guess. It's the closest I come <laughs> to being any sort of creative. Uh-huh. And it's not my opinion. It's, I don't feel like I've hired people or I myself am qualified to listen to your song and go, yeah, I think this is good enough to be sent to my influencers. Like, I'm going to pay my influencers to tell you whether they like it or not. And they know that they know their world and their channel and their usage of music better than I do. And then I'm going to use technology to get them the best music possible for their thing. But honestly, it's my opinion that influencer marketing is just now heating up in the music industry. And it's still one of the most organic, affordable and approachable ways for an independent artist to go about kickstarting their song promotion online. And I mean, it's, it's evidenced by the way Spotify specifically, the way the Echo Nest algorithm works, which is the recommendation algorithm behind Discover Weekly and these things. The way you know part of it works is it scans millions and millions of social profiles looking for conglomerates of song mentions so that it can it basically takes that song mention, kind of floats it up to the top of the system for Spotify and says, here's a song we think might be worth playlisting. Go take a listen. And it, you know, social influencers as well as playlists are really important in that. So I, I just really think artists need to jump on the influencer bandwagon hard, even outside of just playlists. So let me, let me walk me through something here. So, so let's say you are a musician and you're making music in a non-traditional area. Like, let's say you're a, like a blues R&B artist, as opposed to a straight indie rock alternative artist. Mm. Do you guys have influencers in your stable or your, you know, your, your, I don't even know what you take your collection mm. of influencers that work in that category. I mean, do you have, are you across multiple genres or are you sort of indie rock heavy? So it's a good question. I mean, <laughs> I'm curious, is there some sort of perception out there that we're pretty indie rock heavy or? No, no, that's, it's because it's my own bias because I'm indie rock heavy. So it's got like, it, you know, everything that comes to my world is, is indie rock. So, you know, cool. that's what I'm saying. I'm always curious what people are seeing out there on us because our marketing is a little all over the place sometimes, but we cover pretty much everything well, except really traditional country. Well, I don't mean road traditional country. I'm talking really straight down the middle pop country. We cover Americana and like roots better than we do pop country. CCM or Christian and like world music or you know instrumental world, African-based rhythms or Middle Eastern-based rhythms. Pretty much everything else, we have a significant amount of influencers who are looking to use that. It's, you know, the, the channels are all different. Some of them have themes outside of music and what they're looking for is a certain type of feeling in the music that they want to use behind the video. Some playlists are just straight genre based. Some are like genre and time based. So it's the best of pop from 2017 or, you know, the best of pop from the 2000s or something. And then you have plenty that are the exact opposite, which is, the best moods for your beach trip or whatever. And those can be everything. 
it's just literally the curator's opinion on what would make a good beat song, you know? Right. So there are ways to insert just about anything into some of those fabrics. You just have to be really creative. And in my opinion, you have to hedge on the side of giving an artist a lot more options and giving them exposure to a lot more influencers than maybe are relevant, you know, like you have to kind of stretch a little bit sure, and say, all right, we think this might be a match. We're going to put it in there anyways, because this version of a blues rock song might fit this guy today, gotcha. you know, because we're dealing with music and their tastes and their moods and their opinions change on the daily, just based on what time of day it is and whether they've eaten or not, you know, <laughs> it's true of me. And that's absolutely true. Yeah. So the short answer to your question, we handle pretty much everything except those three genres. And would you say that that's because those three genres are are either already covered, like I'm thinking pop country is, is sort of a major heavy, big budget thing, or because the playlists don't exist for that genre? I think the playlist not existing as much for those genres is a result of the utility of the music. And so if you'll bear with me, I'll get a little philosophical, but... The music that we deal in the most is music that has, and I hate to say it this way, but music that has value outside of just this is a good commercial song. It like it has true emotional value. It's an enhancement of some emotional state of being, and there's a playlist built around that, either in appreciating that genre, appreciating that time, appreciating that feeling, and pop country itself doesn't give you a lot of that value. Pop country is honestly just a... It's weirdly more specific and more narrow, narrow is a better word for it, more narrow than you would expect because you get the same emotional feeling pretty much every song. And so it's hard to make a playlist out of that. Mm. You know, it's hard to make a, it's hard to make like an emotionally diverse playlist or an emotionally valuable playlist out of that. I think of music kind of as a color wheel. If you're thinking about like, you know, on Photoshop or something, when you go to pick a hex code, it has the wheel of colors, all the different shades. For me, that's music, and pop country is like one very specific small part of that that gives you one emotional flavor or one emotional color shading. And the playlists that are built to reflect that are often just like today's best pop country hits. You know, some people are putting like, you know, going camping, but they're not like the camping playlists, they have like roots music and some classic rock and some early 2000s country. They don't have a lot of post 2010 country on it or post even 2012 country, pretty much all the playlists or channels geared around that are like, we're appreciating the top hits of today. And there's no, there's no other value beyond that. Gotcha. There's no other substance beyond that. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. I gotcha. Okay. Interesting. It's just an observation. But, yeah. <laughs> That's very interesting. Right. So now I understand from the articles I've read about you that you are 23. I'm 24 now. So yes. Yeah, you're 24. So what I, I was going to say, what were you doing before this that led you into this field? But I think maybe college is the obvious answer to that question. Yeah, it was it was college. I went to Belmont <laughs> University in Nashville. I'm a big proponent of Belmont and the opportunities that it gives folks to come to Nashville. It's a very unique college experience. I'm originally from Bentonville, Arkansas, which is the home of Walmart and there's not much else there besides that. Uh-huh. But my dad is a, he's a kind of a bar musician. And so I've been traveling with him and helping him set a PA and playing drums for his band since I was eight, basically. Wow. And then I got to Belmont and started working for a bunch of different artists and was lucky enough my sophomore year to get hired by a kind of a legendary country artist. He was, so in, you ever heard of the band Brooks and Dunn? Sure. Okay. So in Brooks and Dunn, there's Kix Brooks and Ronnie Dunn, which Ronnie is a tall, skinny singer. Kix wears the cowboy hat. 
Ronnie and Kix had split up. Ronnie signed with Sony after they split up as a solo artist, left Sony and started a label called Little Willie Records. And then by way of some mutual connections, hired me as his like head of marketing for like a year and a half while I was still in college. And I just worked out of his house basically and just did his marketing work. I was all my marketing work and kind of learned the ropes there. And from there, I went to work in an artist management company that was dealing with some other major country artists. And then that was all salaried work through college that then literally the Saturday that I graduated, you know, hung out for the weekend, went back into work on a Monday and had a discussion with uh, the company I was working for that we both just decided to be better if I went and found a new adventure for myself and decided that day to start this. Wow. So the only thing I've done since graduating is this, <laughs> Wow. which is, which is awesome. It's yeah. been going on three years now. So Exciting. Well, Garrison Snell, we've really enjoyed talking to you here on The Future of What. Thanks so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you guys for your time. Did you like what you heard? Then subscribe to The Future of What, and thanks for listening.
That was Video Love by Hands.